and I was like, this is it. And I still remember we were speeding and I was shouting at Steven, my guide. I was like, faster, 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 faster. And then I was like hanging out and I was getting the shot and I was just howling. I was like, <laughs> because I knew the shot was Dude. like, it was perfect. Everything had lined up and I was just so pumped. Even now talking about it, I'm like, I'm getting amped to go out there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the time of day it is. I'm stoked you're listening. Welcome to the Visual Tone Creator Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Bryn North, alongside my co-host, Kirill Dobrev. This week, we're going to be chatting to Nordia Hienis, an adventure filmmaker and conservationist who I've had the pleasure of working alongside. Yeah, Nordia is extremely passionate about the natural world. And when you hear him speak, it's no surprise that he went the route of conservation and, and wildlife filmmaking. In this episode, he shares his experience about what it's like to work out in the wild African bush and tells us how he managed to capture some absolutely remarkable moments that honestly come once in a lifetime. We also chat about Behind the Scenes of Nature, a project he co-founded that is giving a voice to and documenting people who are doing good things to help protect and restore the natural world. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, today we're here with none other than a very, very good mate of mine. Nodia, how are you doing, bro? Yeah, I'm good in yourself, dude. Can't complain. I'm not too bad. I, I know I sound a little bit ridiculous at the moment. I got pretty bad hay fever, so please just bear with me with this uh, nasally-sounding brin. Anyway, <laughs> we're all here to hear a bit about your journey, what you've been up to, how you got where you are. So I think, first off, I know you're a filmmaker. Oh, you're a photographer as well, actually. You've got a... You, got all the tricks of the trade, but um, let's reel it back. And uh, I know you started with film school and let's be honest, a lot of people out there, I know myself even for one, were thinking, is film school something I should get into? Was it worth it and all the rest? But uh, what did you study in film school and how was that process? Uh, cool. So yeah, thanks for having me on the show. The, Anytime, visual, right? the VT show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I decided to go to film school here in Cape Town, and um, there's only there's two film schools here, and I chose the one that was supposed to be the better one. And, <laughs> and you um, say supposed to? Yeah, supposed to. <laughs> so it's uh, I enjoyed film school because I met some really interesting people, mm -hmm. some people that are some of my best friends now, and people that I still work with today. But I felt that it definitely lacked in a lot of avenues in terms of they fell a little bit short with their syllabus, if I could say that, because they didn't teach us the correct stuff. They taught us stuff, yeah. but it was nothing that I didn't really know. And um, the biggest thing that I got from film school is meeting one of my friends whose dad was uh, one of the greatest, like uh, incredible cinematographer and director and uh, we ended up living together and ended up um, being mentored by by him, that's pretty by wild. his father. And that was really cool. So that's where I learned everything. It's just being on set with this guy, stealing with my eyes, asking questions <laughs> and just doing 
as much as possible to learn as much as possible in the shortest period of time. One thing that I was grateful of with film school is that we actually, we were on the, on the verge of where digital was starting to make its way into filmmaking. So we, when we start, when I started film school, we actually worked with 16 mil cameras, which was yeah. incredible. So we got to load these cameras with the film. We had our big rolls of film and, you know, it was the process behind it. I thought it was quite important because it taught you etiquette, which ah, okay. I find a lot of people these days don't have, um, is keeping your stuff clean. Yeah, well, sure. hey, 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 hey. I, feel, I feel like this was directed at me here, bro. <laughs> I wasn't pointing any fingers. I was, I was generalizing. <laughs> no, but, that, yeah. that's true. I mean, I, well, well take, take us through that. Like what, I mean, I've never worked with film myself. So what, you know, these days I just I throw in that SD card. I spray yeah. as much as I want. What's, <laughs> What, what, what makes film so different? When you're shooting film stock, um, you have two choices. You either have uh, the cold look that you go for or the warm look. So you've got your daylight and, and uh, nighttime, yeah. uh, moonlight or whatever you want to call it. So it's the cool and the warm colors. Yeah, then to the process that you go through in terms of shooting it, you have to load it into the mag, depending on what size roll you got. I think you got 500 feet and 1,000 feet. I generally went for 1,000 feet because... I like to roll a little bit longer on some of my shots. <laughs> so how long is it? Th- a thousand feet is what? Like how many minutes did you say? Jeez, I can't remember. Uh, now. Okay. Uh, I would say like 10 minutes, maybe what? if it's even that much. But it definitely slows you down a bit more and makes you think more about mm. what it is that you're about to shoot before you hit that record button. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Just that process of like all these little things that you have to think about. And uh, these days I bring a lot of that through in my filmmaking and also my photography because now I can kind of, uh, it made me read light a little bit better mm. instead of just looking yeah. at a frame or, an, or or something that I want to take a photo of. Gotcha. I, I get, I mean, I've worked with Nordea I think quite a bit, or at least we've hung out a lot. I know a lot of the projects he shoots and I could definitely tell, you know, if I compare myself to him, myself, who's just, I've learned everything from the internet or if I could say that, um, you know, and there's no doubt there's a big difference between Nordea and I when it comes to the etiquette of filming. And yeah. I'm just spraying and trying to get what I, you know, I'm just thinking of the end product where Nordea is definitely a lot more, there's a lot more a process. There's a lot more thought that goes into it, which is definitely something I I, I truly want to learn from this man. But dude, that's awesome. You went through that process, and uh, I mean, so I know you know you, you did a bit of the commercial work. You you did some like some indie films along that road, but eventually you worked your way to more of a documentary route, uh, run and gun sort of filmmaker. You went deep into the wildlife side of things, so. Give us, a, in a nutshell, what was the process your first few years in the industry out of school? The first few years in the industry out of school was basically just learning from my mentor. And I just really put all of my intention, uh, attention into knowing how he would like things to be done and then... I really worked hard at making sure that I am fully capable of doing those things with my eyes closed mm. without even like it became a muscle memory. And once I had that, he noticed that. And then he's like, cool, well, like now you can shoot my stuff for me and I can focus only on directing. <laughs> but I felt there was definitely something missing for me still 
when we were doing the commercials, the feature films was more of like a fun side of things. Like every now and again, he would take on one of those. But the the commercial side of things, it was cool. I learned a lot. Yeah, every project is different, but at the same time, it is still kind of the same thing. And I felt like it was, I felt like I had a bigger need to do something good for the world. I felt like there was a lack of sense of purpose. Um, and I wanted that. I wanted to feel like I, what I'm doing is adding value to the world. And at that stage, I, it wasn't. Commercials, I'm selling people products. You're convincing them that they need these things and you're trying to do it in a beautiful, visual, creative way, which is to the fun side. But the other side, I'm like, what is the point of this? Mm. What, like, honestly, what am I adding to this world? And I've always, or I was brought up as a person to take care of the planet. And, you know, my parents taught me don't litter. And, you know, if you went to a place, leave it in a better condition than when you found it in. And that was always kind of in the back of my mind. And then one day I had an opportunity to go shoot some wildlife stuff. Friend phoned me up. He's like, hey, I'm in a bit of a situation. I really need you to go out into the bush and go form this wildlife stuff for me and I ended up doing that and they really loved the stuff that I shot and um, offered me some more work and I was like cool this is really awesome but there was a bit of a lack of experience for me from there going from the commercial world all of a sudden to the wildlife world because the camera work that I was doing was great but I didn't know anything about animals their movements predicting these things and working with the rangers or the the guides in the bush to like put me in the correct yeah. position so I, I was yeah. missing a lot of important stuff mm. and it was definitely reflecting not so great on me <laughs> well let's well, let's have a quick chat about that then what was what was so different from in that world you know you went from this more structured scripted sort of world to all of a sudden you're in the bush, you know, you have no control over yeah. anything really other than trying to move around in your vehicle. That That's as much <clears throat> as you could do. So it was, it was a huge change because I was very used to shooting with the director, with the shot list, like having everybody on set doing all the things. Like I've got my one role that I need to focus on. I've got my assistants, mm-hmm. I've got my focus puller. Now all of a sudden I'm out here just me, the camera, I'm pulling focus for myself. I have to do all these things myself and which is not a problem. I was, uh, I was happy, very happy doing this, but it was a lot more difficult to focus on all of these things that I need to do and plus focus on trying to capture the specific scene that I was commissioned to do. So there was still a bit of a sense of the commercial world in there because we still had a producer there. We still had the director there, but you were still, I was, I was, uh, I was by myself. Uh, when I went out to go do the filming and the, it was the stuff that we were shooting was wildlife related, but it's still fictional. Like we filming, for instance, a lion. Uh, I, I think that first job, yeah, it was about lions. So we needed to film this little story about these lions and their cubs and things like that. So I still have these specific shots that I need to tick off to make sure that the story yeah, can be told in a certain way. Yeah, And you can tell any story if you just have the right shots to actually make the story work, it can be a fictional story about wildlife, which is most of these things are actually fictional. Um, and then I decided that I think that, that I, I need to get more experience and I decided to explore wildlife a bit more. And I managed to get a job at a travel agency, which was, uh, something that wasn't really kind of what I was trying to find, but I saw it as a really amazing way to 
travel all over Africa and what what were they actually sending you around to do um working for that travel agency so at the travel agency um they were sending us to all these crazy lodges in southern africa you know, all those expensive ones the really expensive okay, yeah, ones yeah. The, nice. the most expensive and did they, ones. did they set you up did you sleep in the five star so suite? we got to sleep in the nice places Yo, this guy nice hey? <laughs> at the time i was like how, how how is this even a thing like i'm getting paid to do paid this, to do this? <laughs> but, um, every day game drives twice a day every morning before sunrise we go out we okay. go film the wildlife come back shoot the lodge go back out go film wildlife and i was like this is the perfect setup for me to learn because now uh-huh. all of a sudden I'm in a position where I'm learning from the best people the guys that yeah. know the bush yeah. so well they know the animals so well and again this is a situation where I was like I can just steal with my eyes and my ears like <laughs> I like the guy, steal with my eyes yeah. so this is yeah <laughs> I'm so use that. I, I just ask questions all the time why is the animal doing this why is the animal reacting like that why are they you know avoiding this area and then you know slowly but surely that knowledge started to build up and build up and um i felt a lot more comfortable being out there and i could be put into any situation asked to shoot anything and i was pretty confident that i'd be able to get it mm-hmm. I, i felt like very ready to be able to step into my own realm where i can create my own stories and do all my own things um so and yeah took the leap eventually took the leap Freelance and it was for the so boys. scary. It was literally like that was the hardest decision I've ever made in my career is making that decision to go freelance. I was huh. shit scared. <laughs> Dude, it's terrible. Yeah. So, so what was it that forced you to decide to go freelance and what was so scary about doing that? So I didn't really feel forced to go freelance. Um, I felt that I'd reached my cap at this company. Oh, I felt okay. like I wasn't feeling the need to be there anymore. It wasn't adding anything to my skill sets anymore and although the company was cool to work for and the people that I worked with was really really cool um, I just felt like I reached my cap and I wasn't going anywhere anymore so it was personal reasons you're like you yeah. wanted to grow more and I wanted like, more and right. I wanted oh, to I like more. that I like that you got to be hungry you <laughs> the need hungry. was there the <laughs> hunger was there for sure um, and yeah eventually took made the choice um the reason why I was so frightened of making that choice and whether it was the right one or the wrong one the answer is there is no right or wrong it's just it's what you want and what you what you decide to do if that makes you happy that's the most important it's interesting that you didn't not once did you actually even mention money it didn't even that that didn't i guess that was probably a part of the fear side of it but you know it was you were doing it for you what made you happy and that's i think that's that's pretty powerful that you know it's not once we like i need to go make more money somewhere else you're like i want to do what makes me feel good happy 100% i don't even really pick up on that so yeah well done <laughs> yeah um, yeah the money thing is always like it's 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 a benefit from what we do and it should definitely not be the deciding factor sure we do need to make money the equipment is super expensive it is traveling is expensive but as long as it 
gives you a sense of purpose and makes you happy and makes you feel fulfilled, I I, I would take that over the money any day. Mm. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Because <laughs> I don't want to be doing a job and like getting paid an okay salary and have deliverables that are through the, the sure. roof. I want to be the person that's dicta- dictating those deliverables. And and I presume now where you're sitting and are about to sort of embrace the world of free, not freestyle, Freelance, <laughs> freestyle freelance. <laughs> Bust out a freestyle rap right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I would imagine that at this point of your career, you, you have some sort of idea as to where you'd like to go and what you'd like to be doing, specializing in a sense. Definitely, yeah. I had a good idea of where I wanted to go. It was definitely more in the direction of documentary filmmaking because while I was working at this company, I got to meet all these unique individuals and those people inspired me to want to like tell their stories Hmm. because I was like, why, why, why is nobody telling these people's stories? (laughs) They're the people that are on the ground doing the hard graft to make sure that these Hmm. animals are either protected or they're restoring areas back to their like natural state. And I thought it was super inspiring and can you can you give an example of of some of, of, of a story that comes to mind that um that you were like okay this is really interesting why is no one talking about this um i met this guy uh he's actually a doctor dr simon oh, i can't remember his surname now anyways we're just going to call him dr simon he dr. works simon. for an organization called the wildlife act and they do a lot of wild dog conservation, landscape, rhino conservation. Okay. There were a couple of moments that was quite special where we were filming the baby orphaned rhinos whose mothers had been poached and killed for their rhino horn for the rhino trade. And um, basically they were mothering these babies. Wow. They have to like bottle feed them and make sure that they sure. are like, they have the necessary nutrition and stuff and the connection that he had with some of these baby orphan rhino was what stood out to me. I was like, Whoa, just like, look at this, look at, look at this guy almost um, comforting these little right. orphans. And there was this one specific moment that I actually took a still of as well, where he's like holding this little baby rhino. Cause you could see the rhino's emotions is like still like quite shook and it's yeah. looking for that comfort of yeah. a mother or something that is going to protect it. And he was the person there for it. And I noticed that and that, that stood out to me and that inspired me a lot to want to pursue these type of stories more. That's awesome. Gosh, yeah. dude. You haven't told me that story. That's very yeah. <laughs> All right, let's have a quick little break there. Let's do the good old quick fire round. Kirill, I hope you've got some questions lined up. Otherwise, I'm going to sound stupid right now. Do you? <laughs> we got some questions. I was actually waiting for the sound effects that you normally provide verbally. Oh, sorry. <laughs> As the key. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> do you know there we go. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a quick fire round without the sound effects from Ben. <laughs> No dear dude, uh, we're gonna just shoot a couple of questions your way. It's it's really is just uh, it's like a this or that. So we give you two options, and you just pick one or the other. And if you want to justify your answers, by all means, go for it. But you don't have to if you don't want to. And uh, okay, yeah, cool. let's let's kick it off. Let's let's go. So no dear, which of these two are you more into, stills or video? Video. Stills to me is just a, it's a hobby that I take very seriously. Ah, okay. <laughs> seriously. 
Okay, and gear-wise, what do you tend to use more, a tele or wide-angle lens? Well, in between. <laughs> the Fair 24 enough. is not really wide, is it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. If you could only use a wide or a tele, what would you choose? Oh, a wide. And would you say you tend to use more of a gimbal or rely on sort of handheld shots? Gimbal, for sure. Gimbal, okay. And when it comes to filming wildlife, what's a better time of day, sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunset. Sunset, why is that? Sunset generally lasts longer. Mm. The afterglow lasts longer and like that golden feeling lasts longer. It's just it? in my opinion, I don't know. I could be wrong. Okay, yeah. Maybe I'm crazy. There's a little tidbit I there. No, I don't, yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. I agree with that. Because normally I stop. Yeah, hold on, this isn't about me, this is about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, uh, Nudia, what landscape for you is more interesting to shoot in? Savannah or jungle? Savannah. Savannah. Yeah, I like, the, okay. I, li I like the open spaces mm. a bit more, but I do love a good jungle, don't get me wrong. A good jungle oh, dude, we all love a good epic. jungle. <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay, if you could document one of these endangered animals, which would you choose? The snow leopard or the tiger? Snow leopard. Is it? Why is why the snow yeah. leopard and quick quickly why well, what is it about it? Because it's 100% going to be a mission to first get into the mountain range where they where they live. Yeah. Secondly is 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 that sense of adventure. Yeah. That yeah, I yeah. love so much because like uh, it's going to give me something new. For me uh, a lot of the time, like getting the shots and stuff, it's it's awesome and I love it, but uh, it's the mission to get the shots that I enjoy the most. 100%. Definitely, yeah. dude. Okay, and say you're, yeah, you're out missioning, Nordea, which of these two would you least like to encounter while on foot? The buffalo or the hippo? And to make it more interesting, both are aggravated. <laughs> least likely buffalo is when you are on foot and you encounter buffalo generally they like to lie like in the shade of a bush so you probably wouldn't see it which means you're gonna startle it and give it spook it and when you spook it oh. it's gonna be pretty aggro aggressive yeah and if you've if you've got the whole herd there they they team up they they gang really? up that so that like the, the biggest ones in the herds they will all gang up and <laughs> they'll, they'll destroy you they'll destroy you <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude you know i know the last few years you've been working a lot out in the field you're in the bush i mean what a pleasure to be out there but you know there's a, a lot of downsides when it comes to well, i don't want to say downsides but it's pretty tricky to film out in the bush so let's talk a little bit about what makes it tricky you know there's a lot of these factors you don't have control over, the weather, what the animals are doing, and how, how do you overcome these? You know, how, how do you plan ahead in these situations that you have little control over? Um, well, that is a pretty difficult question. Hey, I listen, we're here for these answers, bro. So <laughs> give it to us. So first of all, it's just knowing exactly what the subject is that you're going to go shoot and uh, knowing that the subject is in the area at the moment. Some of the places that I travel to, the, the landscapes are huge. Mm -hmm. It's not a small place. So we need to first know that the animals are in the area and in an area where we can actually film them. So sometimes they actually move into an area where it's just like 
thick, thick bush and you actually cannot really get to them. Mm. That's the very first thing that I'll like look out for is like are the animals in the area. Secondly, the weather is something that plays a pretty big role. So, you know, when it's really, really hot outside, animals aren't going to be doing much. They like humans. They, They don't like... They don't like crappy weather. They don't like the <laughs> rain. They don't like the cold. They don't like the wind. They don't stick to shot lists. They're not doing anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they don't stick to shot lists. They don't want to listen. Yeah. You know. Tough, tough, tough. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll like think about that a little bit first. And then um, I'll also think about the story. Is the story strong enough to actually... Um, justify going out there to go film. Mm. Uh, it used to just, I just used to allow it to be organic. And now during lockdown, I've come up with a set of questions to show me it, that this will reveal to me that there is a story there that is emotionally driven, that is strong enough that people can relate to. And then when we're out in the field and in the bush, it's all about the experience and knowing what time you have to leave in the morning to be there for the right light because there might be a mountain over here mm. and the light's only going to peak over the mountain at 8 or 9 a.m. So what are we going to do? Yeah, just using the time as wisely as possible because it's very easy to get lost out there and just drive around in circles. So instead of trying to be there when the light's hitting, rather head out two hours earlier, find the animals, stick with them until the light hits, and then you'll be in the right position as soon as the good light comes. Yeah, that's true, dude. You you wake me up so early, bro. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dude, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm shooting with no deer I know I'm going to have to wake up earlier than I normally do and that's fine it's always worth it it's always worth it especially when you're out there but it's some early mornings I'm, I'm one of the lucky or lucky ones that don't mind waking up early <laughs> oh, but um, because I and Bryn you, you guys have obviously worked together so you both have experience in this but for someone that doesn't have any experience in filming wildlife um What's it like? I mean, how much, because, okay, in my head, I'm picturing majority of trying to form out the back of a vehicle. But can give me a little window into the world. Like how much of the time is spent driving around looking for these animals? Uh, do, you, do you shoot on foot or is it mostly in the back of a truck? Um, you know, and then what does a day look like? I know obviously it's hugely variable and depends on so many things, but for someone that doesn't know anything about this world, um, maybe you can offer a little peep into it. Cool. So I can think of a question straight away that's like the most common one. You must have so much patience. How long do you sit out there to get these shots? I'm exactly. like, actually, like I spent like two hours this morning. It was quick and it was easy and I got the shots that I needed and then, yeah, managed to have some spare time to take some photos as well <laughs> um, so like i said before it was right. it all comes down to experience and like w- being able to work with the per- the guide that's taking you out so his experience is the most important because he knows, he knows the area yeah he knows the roads that you need to take and he knows the animals uh individually as well because he works in the area with these animals on a daily basis and we don't sit around waiting for hours on end for a specific shot. Sometimes you do if yeah. it's like a very specific shot. But most of the time we go out there, we find our animals, wait for the good light. And as soon as that good light comes, you're hoping that the animals are doing something interesting. Generally, okay. it is because it's nice and cool in the morning. And then I just try and focus on getting the specific things that I'm uh, 
setting out to do so if it would be like a tracking shot of a lion yep. generally they are active in the morning so we'll get there extra early they might be on the move already so then we just keep moving with them until the light gets to the point where i'm happy with it and then i just start rolling i'll probably even start rolling before that to make sure that i have some shots in the bag already and then once the once the moments happen that i'm really after then that's that's when you you know that you know, you, you've captured the stuff, but there's no waiting out for ages and days on end in a little hut in the bush sweating. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, I've it's seen, not like that. I've seen the David Attenborough documentaries, the, the behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they show. <laughs> um. So they, they definitely, they definitely, I mean, there is that, that, that factor of where you like, you have to sit and wait for instance, when we were filming the wild dogs, and I was waiting for the wild dog puppies to come out the den because it was like at the point where they are ready to come out, but we can hear them and we can hear them at the, like they just on the other side of the entrance of the den underground, we can hear them, but they're not coming out. And we were there every single day mm. waiting, waiting, waiting until the moment happened where mom actually like got them to come out and one of the little puppies came out only one came out and it was the coolest thing ever it was <laughs> tiny tiny and then she regurgitated some some meat for it so we i managed to film it eating its first piece of meat wow oh, it was it was a truly that's, a truly yeah. special moment and, and that evening all of them came out and it was just oh, dude, yeah, and, and then it's chaos as well because because the other the, the wild dog pack they, they the others don't get to see the puppies mm -hmm. it's only mum it's only the alpha female that gets to see them because they're in the den and she's the only one that's allowed to go into the den to feed them and to look after them and nurture them so it's the the pack gets to meet them for the first time as well and it's absolute chaos there's just dust everywhere they're making sounds they're running around and it's just it was yeah it was definitely <laughs> definitely a dust highlight everywhere. for me i, I like yeah. how you mentioned the dust because i know golden light with <laughs> dust oh that's just, what we it's want it's the best and as Nadia, as, as you know as a director of photography you you are the guy behind the camera what do you think makes a good wildlife image both from just in a traditional sense and also in a creative sense? I know it's probably a very hard question to answer and that's something that is definitely subjective, but what do you, for you, what, what makes a wildlife shot good? For me, there's a couple of factors. Firstly is your subject, um, either being mobile or being in a really great position where you can like, you know, see their power and mm. see how they carry themselves. And generally you get that emotion from the animal when they are moving, okay, um, okay. especially when they are moving with intent. So if it's a lion or a wild dog that's on the hunt, you can see and feel that yes. like, wow. this is what they are. Like they, it, yeah. They're busy doing something real now. Um, and then second thing for me would be the technical part of the, of the shot so if they are moving getting this tracking shot with them mm. and then one thing that i love doing is getting my camera as low to the ground as possible so you're almost looking up at the animal making them seem even more like superior right. and more powerful so to me that's that that's another factor that i always make sure that i try and incorporate so it's their like you're showing their like characteristics, their traits, their personalities, and then using that um, angles, using movement. Yeah, there's a there's a shot of yours, dude, and I don't know where I've seen it, but it's of a pack of wild dogs, and they're running through the bush. 
Yeah. And you're tracking alongside them, I presume out of a vehicle because they're going pretty fast. But, you know, you, you're seeing these animals running, like you say, with purpose. It's got motion. They're running. You're seeing grass and trees go in and out of frame and, and creating that pace. Um, it's such an incredible shot, dude. And we'll actually, yeah, we'll, we'll throw that up on on the website on on, the, on your podcast page so everyone can have a look. And um, yeah, dude, I just think that speaks so much to to what you just said about sharing the characteristics of these animals and I guess all of those components coming together. Exactly. That 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 shot specifically had so many components that made it extremely technical. And uh, first of all, is I'd be following this pack of wild dogs for two and a half years now, and I've spent so much time with them. And um, I have had this that specific shot in my head for so long, but I've never been in a position where I could capture it. First of all, my equipment wasn't quite like geared up for capturing such a type of shot. And I was like, how can I do this? And eventually um, I managed to figure out a configuration for my camera and my gimbal to be able to get really low down to the ground while we are moving at a really high speed, but hanging then out the back of the <laughs> hanging out the back of the vehicle. Then it was also like, now we have to follow the wild dogs for extended period of time and uh, capture them hunting and be with them as mm. the hunt starts and try and get the shot. And I, many times we were in the, the, everything lined up, but the wild dogs are so quick and they change direction so quick. So to have them running in the same direction for extended period of time and yeah. speeding next to them with the vehicle and us having a clear line of sight oh, and one yeah. day everything lined up and there we had a clear line it was in a fairly open area there was still a lot of bush and i was like this is it and i still remember we were speeding and i was shouting at steven my guide i was like faster 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 and uh, then i was like hanging out and i was getting the shot and i was just howling i was like (laughs) because i knew the shot was like it was perfect everything had lined up and i was just so pumped even now talking about it i'm like i can see it dude you look pumped (laughs) dude and i know know you're a i know you're a canon guy so you've got that sweet sweet autofocus but was that was that um were you manual focusing on that particular shot or yes that specific one was manual focus so i actually used a technique with that with that shot, um, uh, it's called, uh, I used hyperfocal distance. So it gives us really deep, unique depth of field. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that one, because there were so many moving components, the dogs were moving, there was multiple dogs, there was bushes coming in front of the camera. And um, I had to go full manual for that. So I, I used that technique to capture that specific one because I wanted to look make it look a little bit different too. I didn't want a shallow depth of field. Yeah because I was shooting at a super uh, slow shutter. I was shooting at 180 degrees. So the motion blur was going to create that That depth of field for me. Yeah, that sense of speed and making it feel like really fast. It was really fast, but (laughs) this made it feel even more fast and it just gave it a really cool look. Actually, let's, 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 yeah, let's talk a little bit about gear then. I mean, (laughs) what's your current setup and uh, why have you, have you chosen such a setup? So the current setup is a Canon 1DX Mark II. Beast. Ooh. 
it is a workhorse for sure. Uh, the reason why I chose that was for the autofocus because a lot of times I'm a one-man band. I don't yeah. have the time or the capacity to, to bring a focus puller for me, let alone the luxury of having a focus puller with you. Yeah. Um, so I chose that body for that because I was shooting 4K, 60 frames a second. Um, the autofocus was is always on point and um then i put that onto i used to or i still have the bigger ronin um i used to carry that guy around but it, it was it's definitely a little bit bulky and it wasn't like quite geared up for filming wildlife unless you have all these special rigs yeah. so i as soon as the ronin s came out i was like this is awesome this is small this is easy to carry i can move around with it freely and it also the uh the thing that I love about it the most is that you can customize your settings on it. So you've got the one, two, and three modes, and all those modes are specifically geared for specific scenarios that I shoot in. So for instance, that wild dog shot thing, I didn't have time to like now go, jump onto my phone and turn down the big Ronin. I have a setting specifically for shooting from a vehicle so that the camera doesn't really experience a lot of shake or uh, when I move the Ronin around, there's like actually a lot of play on it. So mm -hmm before the camera actually starts moving, I have to like really like push it to the extreme before the camera actually starts moving. Mm. So that's the setup that I use to film the wild dogs. Cause that moment happened so fast that I was like, I can just, I quickly whipped out the thing and I was like, they're on the hunt, they're Here going. Go. Then all of a sudden I'm out the vehicle, the, the thing is switched on and it's in the mode that I needed to be. I've got my external monitor to see my shot. So, uh it's got a um it's on an articulating arm so like uh, the screen can be nice and close to my face so i can see exactly what i'm shooting and i can also then put it into underslung mode and pretty much have it centimeters off the ground so that now all of a sudden i have this crazy low shot without having a huge crane and a shot over <laughs> rig and all these things at Ooh. my disposal so yeah. now all of a sudden i'm getting epic shots similar to the guys of Nat Geo and BBC, but I'm getting it on a 1DX. And you're able to make a decision then and then. Exactly. Go. And I was like, and that I was pretty proud of the, being able to do stuff like that with this normal camera where people are like, whoa, what camera are you shooting? I was like, the 1D. Uh, <laughs> they're like, you're not using the red. Why are you not shooting on a red? I was like, well, the 1D is pretty incredible. Mm. Now, I know, you know, when you, when you go to a lot of these places and you stay in a lot of these uh, safari camps, there's some amazing places, beautiful. You've stayed at some incredible spots, but let's be honest, it's not all, it's not all beautiful when it comes to getting certain, to getting to certain areas. We've, we've been to some places that, oh, let's, let's say it's, it's not that comfortable yeah. <laughs> to get out there. You know, we've, we've spent some time in the bush and hit me with some stories, dude. Let's. Can you think, okay, just think back over the last, I don't know, four or five years where you've been out of the bush and you'd be like, this is real. You're living on the earth. You're with the animals. You know, can you think of any sort of experiences? The one that comes to mind was when you, myself and Donnell went to Kenya. Dude, and ah, this is, this is actually one of my... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I, are you going to talk about Beat Boba? 
Yeah. Dude, this is probably one of my top 10 experiences of my life. Did you talk about this one in your podcast? I don't know, did no. I? No, no, no. Let's, let's uh, talk about it then. Let's definitely <laughs> chat about it then because this was a pretty, pretty <laughs> crazy experience. So we uh, were in Amboseli filming uh, some work an organization does out there and we met a whole bunch of Maasai warriors and we got invited to, to go to this area um, where there's a sacred forest in the Mara and it's literally like a dense, dense jungle. And it was, it was pretty wild to f- see that there's such a crazy thick jungle. I there. had no idea. Yeah. It's a full on jungle in the middle of really yeah. the flay in the middle of yeah. like Savannah type lads. And then all of a sudden there's this little greed oasis, just dead, 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 dead. Yeah. It's, it's, it was awesome. So now we get there and some of the Maasai warriors from the Amboseli, uh, I think, do they have states there? I got or? no idea. Anyway, but... so it's a different tribe uh, that came there to meet the tribe from this forest. And, you know, there was uh, they, they were there with like these with us now. And they were also like very happy to have us there. And they, you know, wanted to do a, a little bit of a, like a celebration. And... I'm always down for a celebration. Exactly. So we were like, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We, we like to party. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody likes to party. <laughs> so now we, we're heading out into this jungle and like we're walking and they, they, they kind of, they like, no, it's a, it's a bit of a surprise type of thing. And we're like, cool, cool. This could be good. Like, I like surprises, you know. <laughs> I um, like surprises. <laughs> there's uh, also a language barrier, which, which doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now we're walking. And we walked for about an hour, I think it was. And we get into this kind of a bit of an open area now. And the two different tribes meet. And, like, it's very cool. And there's quite a, like, interesting energy happening around here. And um, it just, like, over this, like, little hill in front of us is <laughs> this Maasai guy emerging with a cow. And like a, they, like like, a living, living cow. Like, yeah, like a, a living cow. cow. Yeah. <laughs> So he rocks up there with his cow and then like, okay, cool. We, we like, we offering this cow now for the celebration, you know, and offering a cow is like a great, great sense of like wealth. Like, you know, that's their wealth. They don't like money is really not a big factor out there. Obviously money is a factor, but you know, you can gauge somebody's wealth on the amount of cows they have and the quality of cows they have. So Mm -hmm. now they've brought this cow out there and they're like, they 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 kill this cow in front of us. They slaughter it. It it oh. Shit, so you crazy, guys are bro. sitting there. <laughs> yeah. You guys are sitting there. This cow gets herded in. Yeah. And uh, the, she gets herded in. They they slaughter the lions come out. The lions come out. Yeah. And of course, and we just do what we do. We just start filming it because this is awesome. You yeah, know. I mean, you so don't see we, that every day. We film the whole experience. Um, and of course, the Basai warriors, as you know, I think a lot of people know them for you know, they drink the blood. Of the edible, oh, wow. um, that they offered it to us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't take a sip. No, no, I didn't have a sip. Uh, just I just our had, a, on had to, a big uh, had a big pasta just before. Ah, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. So now they, they 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 do this thing, and then like they uh, they're like, "Oh, well, we're gonna eat this cow now." We're like, "Well, what, what do you mean we're gonna eat this cow now?" They, yeah, like, we're gonna build a boma and for everyone that doesn't know what a boma is it's basically like a, a round like fenced off area that they make out of uh really long uh, straight sticks that they 
put into the ground and mm. they, they put it into the ground and they basically build like a like a little bit of a like a round oh, fence that pleasure that uh, like an enclosure and they use that to kind of keep their cattle or their livestock in at night so that the animals that are in the area don't uh, predate or they don't get chowed uh, <laughs> pretty much <laughs> they call this meat boma okay so this is when two different tribes or like um, some of the men of a specific tribe they get together they slaughter a cow and they go into meat boma for like two to three days, depending on how big the animal is that they've slaughtered. And they just sit there and they just eat meat just for like chow. three days straight until that entire animal has been consumed. Because I guess you can't exactly refrigerate it and you know, we'll have some next week for the, you got to consume, right? <laughs> you yeah. just got to eat it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, 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 they cut up this entire cow in front of us like, I mean, you could tell these guys have done it so many times before. It was efficient. All of a sudden, these big racks of meat. We had this huge bonfire at the boba. We put this meat all around the fire. Myself, Dordia, Dodal, we just sat there with these guys. Not a word of <laughs> English they could understand. And we just ate meat for yeah. hours. It, <laughs> Until it did not stop. Yeah, the meat sweats. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just, we, just, we just slept there on the floor with about 20 other Maasai warriors. Oh, just chilling it. for the night. We, yeah, we had um, obviously a whole bunch of animals could smell the meat, so oh, yeah, they yeah. were. We had to we had to get the fire going and get it like three in the morning because we had a whole a whole lot of hyenas trying to get in. Um, but proper what an wild, that hey, was proper wild. Yeah, you know, it's not like you're in a campsite. Or you're <laughs> you're out. You're out no. there. And what happens if yeah, you if no. if it's something doesn't sit sit quite right? Do you just run out, dig a hole? How does that work? Dude, we, we were. It didn't happen I, I to can, us, luckily. Like, well, I do remember Danal <laughs> needed just needed to go to the toilet. Number one, and uh, he. So, <laughs> so literally, we weren't allowed to leave the boba after a certain time. The guys were like, "No, too dangerous," and they were kind of like just pointed, like, "Okay, you could go to the toilet at that corner." But I remember waking up at like three in the morning, needing to go to the toilet, <laughs> and there was like three guys sleeping right next to this designated area <laughs> so i was like do do i leave the boba or do i go to the toilet right next to these three guys sleeping here <laughs> and i wasn't sure what to do i'll be honest so jeez man what a uh, what, such such a cool experience and they were they were so happy to have us there and stoked show us their part like give us like you know, it's such a like great insight into yeah. their culture and how they do things and mm. when two tribes meet and, mm. you know, the the things that they do for one another. It was, it was just so cool and, and just unplanned, so awesome. completely. completely unplanned. Like it wasn't a planned thing at all. And then speaking of stories, uh, Nodia, maybe we can, we've got the segment Instagram versus reality. And while we're on the to you know topic of stories, we like to have a little look at some of the work you've done and just pick out uh, an interesting image or video from your Instagram, uh, which by the way, anyone listening to this, go and check out Nordia's Instagram. We will link it in the description of the podcast. It's ridiculous, dude. You you have an amazing eye for, for wildlife photography um, and a, just a very unique style too, dude. Um, Thanks, dude. But I was, uh, yeah, just been scrolling and trying to actually decide on an image. And there's one that... I think I would like to ask you about. Sure. I'm looking at a drone shot of a zebra uh, that is lying. Um, it's oh. it's dead and it's being eaten by 
I, I can't, there's, there's probably about 10 plus wild dogs that are just tucking into the zebra that's just lying on this red soil. And it's just this top down, such a unique perspective, incredible image. Dude, first of all, like how, how did you get this image? And maybe, yeah, you could paint, give us a little BTS of how, how did you even come across the scene? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, it was, it was something that I had actually captured before. Um, but it was the wild dogs was eating a wildebeest and uh, on another occasion they were eating a small springbok. Uh, so a wildebeest, the color of the wildebeest is quite dark. They almost they almost black, this brown. So they didn't it didn't quite stand out. I was like, this is super unique and this crazy perspective of this these wild dogs of how they eat an animal. And then I was like, man, like I would just like if this was a zebra, it'd be awesome. <laughs> and a couple oh. of months later, I was back out there following the wild dogs and these wild dogs started targeting zebra more on a daily basis. I was like, man, this could actually happen. I could actually get the shot of them eating a zebra uh, with the drone. And we followed them multiple times on multiple hunts with these zebra. And uh, eventually they managed to capture a huge zebra, which is super uncommon. Like they don't, because zebras are, their stamina is better than the wild yeah. dogs. They're yeah. stronger than the wild dogs. The their eyesight, yeah, their eyesight's pretty amazing. And they're super clever with the way that they navigate any animal trying to hunt them. They, they, they're really good at like evading it and also getting together and like, you know, like using their numbers against the animals oh, okay. that are trying to hunt them. So, this particular one was actually sick and we picked up on it when the hunt started this one's stamina started falling away and away and it like started falling behind and i was like oh no this guy is gonna get taken down uh and the other side is me like yes this is happening yeah conflicted um, yeah and eventually yeah eventually they they managed to get him and he was he was a, a, obviously one of the older zebra and he he was uh, he was definitely sick because even an old zebra would still be able to outrun these guys oh, okay so yeah they ended up taking him down and i had the drone up and i filmed the whole thing with the drone but i didn't get the takedown with the drone and um yeah, when I put the drone, I was busy filming them. And, and when I put the camera straight down, I was like, holy crap, look oh. at this. Like the zebra stripes is making it pop wow. so nice. And oh. all the dogs had literally just started eating it. So it was still fully intact because the wild dogs will rip apart an oh. animal. Like they will, the, they consume that entire zebra within 15 minutes. Wow. So what? like there's not a lot of time to make sure that you're in the right position to like yeah, get yeah, that yeah. initial before like it's just like flesh yeah. yeah exactly because they just like they go they go crazy and they just rip this animal apart and it, it's quite a hectic thing to see because the animal it looks dead in that photo but it's not it's actually still alive and it's um it's actually just given up because it was like it was definitely like i said it was definitely sick so it just like it just kind of collapsed and it was just lying there moaning so it's pretty hardcore thing to see and that's what's so um, cool i think like i mean about wildlife photography is like you know you can you can take a portrait of of a of a zebra and that that shot can be recreated but a shot like this all the things that have to fall into place for the moving parts to, yeah. for this to happen is you can't you can't plan like this it might be the last time you ever see that and have that opportunity yeah i i 
it's probably yeah it's probably the first and the last time i'll ever see something like that uh, you never know anything is possible when you're out there every day is different which is also really exciting but yeah, yeah the, the the fact that everything lined up with mm. that i was just over the moon i couldn't actually believe that it had happened because i i just imagined something like that before yeah. i wasn't even setting out to capture something like this but then i wasn't planning to film the wild dogs we just stumbled across them oh, in yeah? the field i was actually busy tracking cheetahs and then the wild we bumped into the wild dogs and we we're like whoa they're definitely in hunting mode let's follow them for a while we can always come find the cheetah a bit later again and then uh -huh. all of a sudden the hunt started and we were racing after them <laughs> and i was trying to get my drone up and it was just chaos and it's luckily i managed to to still get the shot <laughs> See, what you say, luckily there, um, and, you know, we spoke about this a little bit earlier in the sense that, but because of your knowledge of and your understanding and the people you're with, you're able to make these calls, these educated decisions mm -hmm. that allowed you to get to a position to, to capture that. So I bet you if, you know, there's a lot of other people out there that may not have ever been on safari before, that, that could have also been an opportunity for them, but completely missed. But because you yeah, know what true. you knew what to look for, that you there were signs, and uh, because you ticked all these boxes, you put yourself at the right position. You got an incredible shot, and uh, yeah, extremely unique, very cool. You guys have got to go check it out. Yeah, go check it out. Take a bow, Give a follow, dude. Like the photo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take, <laughs> take a bow, dude. Take a bow. All right, Nordia. I know you've done a whole lot of your career. You've done a bit of this, bit of that, but your most recent venture. You've started something with Donal, which we briefly mentioned earlier, insane photographer. We'll definitely get him on the show at some point. And um, tell me, what is BTS nature? Behind the scenes nature. What have you put together here? Cool. Um, so behind the scenes of nature, I co-founded, like you said, with my good friend Donal Boyd. Um, Donal and myself and even Bryn, we've done multiple projects together, but Donal and I have been working together for a good number of years now. And we've worked with a lot of organizations that do amazing things for this planet, trying to restore and protect animals all around the planet. And um, But there was a common thread that was running through this is that we weren't quite fully in control of the stories. Mm. We were like, okay, well... How can we reconfigure this? What is it that we want to do? What is the next step that we can take instead of working for these organizations? How can we do this stuff ourselves? And we sat for quite a while and we mulled this over and then we came up with this concept that like, hey, let's start focusing on these small organizations that are doing incredible things and but nobody's telling their stories. Mm. So now we're like, okay, next step is money how do we get the money to go do the things that we want to do and then we basically put all of our contacts into a pot and we like cool we've worked with these brands we've done all these big projects for them let's start doing them together so we can get a, a decent sized budget from them for these projects mm. and then we go out and we fund the whole thing ourselves the only thing that the organization Incredible. on the ground will do for us is Give us the resources that we need. Give us a bed to sleep. Give us some food and give us uh, access to the project while we are there. And it seemed to work. And then we we're like, whoa, like this is actually working. And then brands started becoming more interested in doing these projects with us because, first of all, they have a social obligation to give back and they get to be a part of something greater, something that has a purpose, something that 
you know, it, it brings good to the planet. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like a twofold thing for us. Like we're helping these companies, but we're helping these uh, organizations and we're giving them a platform and we're giving them a voice and we could potential, potentially get them to get new donors, uh, get just small donations from people or even more support. But the main thing is, is creating the awareness around what they are doing because nobody really would know about them unless mm. we documented and put their stories out there. There's so many individuals we've met now that uh, that otherwise people would never have known that their project even exists. And we come across these projects by doing a lot of digging, chatting, talking, figuring out where it is that we want to go, what are the problems, what are the major problems in the world, and slowly but surely. And it, it, before it was behind the scenes of nature, it, it went through a whole evolution of <laughs> multiple different things, and none of them made sense at all up until <laughs> we got to this model where we are like, actually, this model kind of works a little bit better for us. But behind the scenes of nature, like our core value is, is to document the people that are protecting and restoring the natural world and the challenges uh, that they face to be able to do the work that they do and in short that's kind of what we what we want to showcase is just these people that are out there doing incredible things they're not there to be known they're not there to try and be the cool people and yeah just it's just so inspiring when you come across humans that are just so selfless and this is selfless acts of kindness towards a species or an animal that mm. actually brings no value to your life but you want to make sure that you protect it because it plays an important role in the ecosystem and then slowly but surely you they become fall in love with these animals and they fall in love with the work that they are doing and mm. it's beautiful to be surrounded by such individuals and it's it's truly a privilege that we that they allow us to conform them as well it's i think it's incredible dude it's i just i love the fact that it's you know you've almost gone full circle in the sense of you know when that when you decided to go freelance and you know the direction you took and you decided you know you want to be able to do something bigger than yourself and, you know, a couple of years later, you find yourself in a position to be able to offer your expertise in a way to people who don't have the means to tell these stories. And like you said, they're not interested in telling their story, but I think their stories are extremely vital in, um, I guess, the awareness. The rest of the world needs to hear these stories. These people are already doing their thing. And uh, let's be honest, money is, is always going to be the issue. And uh, the fact that you've, you've figured out a way to, to bring these funds towards an area um, to tell stories that need to be told. Um, I am 110% behind you. Dude, it's it's incredible. I can't wait to see where you guys go with this. And like you said, it's it's just the beginning. So please, guys, go. I urge you, go and follow and see some of the work that they're going to be bringing out soon. It's it's pretty incredible. And um, it's all coming from a good place. These are, these are good guys. Um, so, yeah. Uh, trust you I mean trust me it'll be well worth the effort yeah thanks a lot for the kind words man where can we find that Nordia the, the BTS nature stuff that you guys are doing so at the moment there is the Instagram uh, so last year we just did a quick little soft launch uh, and, and the response was amazing there were just so many people that just sent us 
emails, messages, stuff that like, how can we get involved? Like, how can we help out? They're just offering their time Love for it. free. And like, all of a sudden we're like, wow, this is just amazing. We we can create a community around this. So right now we're busy doing post-production on our projects that we had shot last year and they should be coming out in the next couple of months and you'll be able to find them on youtube the behind the scenes of nature youtube channel as well as the instagram and uh definitely from our personal channels as well and hopefully from a lot of people that would be sharing the awareness or creating the awareness with us and yeah within the next two to three months we'll be releasing a whole bunch of stuff so yeah keep an eye on the youtube channel subscribe it's gonna sounds good definitely be we'll link that all in the in the description of this podcast for for anyone who wants to check it out but dude thanks for documenting these these stories because i feel like so much of the content these days is 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 about me, me, me. But you guys are turning that camera around and you're like, oh, look at these nice. other people doing good. And that's really, really refreshing, really good to see. So Yeah, thank you. It's I, I hope, you know, I hope this just goes from strength to strength because I, I feel like this the BTS nature is um is a really cool platform for you to kind of flex your passion while doing good at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the idea see it's it's like again we spoke about money earlier on it's not about the money it's also like when we create campaigns around these stories we're not even like we're not taking any of the donations it goes straight to the projects and this is another thing that we geared it up to be is so that these big organizations like I don't, i'm not going to mention names but they get they get huge donations from people and the money trickles through this whole organizations all the way to the bottom where the project that they are supporting eventually gets their part of it mm-hmm. and it's a little bit sad because that money could have had such a big impact straight to the project if it had gone straight there so we are creating these campaigns and the money just goes straight to the organization that we are documenting and creating uh, awareness over and they get the money straight Mm -hmm. and that way they get the full benefit out of everything. We're not even taking any of that money to cover our shoot, our trip, our budget, any of our travel. Like we pay, we pay for everything ourselves. We make that, we raise those funds ourselves and we make sure that they get the maximum benefit from us being there. And not the other way around. Mm. Thanks so much, dude, for you know, just, I guess, taking us through your journey, giving us some insights into the world of filming wildlife and uh, seeing where you've taken it and how you're trying to help. And I mean, geez, you know, you're taking on the world here, bro. <laughs> so uh, like for real, um, it's inspiring you know, as, as a friend to be able to watch and learn. And uh, yeah, if any of you out there want to, See more, follow this man, uh, get behind him. And uh, yeah, dude, appreciate the time. Thanks for chatting, dude. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a real pleasure. All right. If you made it this far in the podcast, we appreciate the hell out of you. We hope you enjoyed listening to that. And if you did, we highly recommend subscribing to the Creator Insights podcast. And whatever platform you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or one of the many, many others. Follow us on the platform. That way you'll know exactly when we drop new episodes. It's the best way to stay in tune with us. And one last thing, if you want to show your support for the show, you can do that by simply sharing it with someone who you think might like it too. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate you and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye.